Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're delighted that you could join us again today as we continue our journey through this fascinating quarter. We are looking at the subject of managing for the Master till he comes. What does the Bible have to say about our finances? Sometimes people say, oh, the Bible talks a whole lot about money. Why why do people always talk about money in church? Well, we're finding out this quarter. And this week, lesson number three. The subject is the tithing contract. What is tithing all about? We are about to find out. Our guest this week, once again, is the author of this quarter's lesson, Ed Reed. He is an ordained minister and a licensed attorney, and we're delighted to have him back. Before we take a look at this subject, though, let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you so much for being with us again today as we continue to learn a little bit more about this incredible subject of our finances and how it intersects with our faith. We ask that you'll bless our time together, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ed, welcome. We're glad to have you back again. Well, it's great to be here. We're looking forward to this presentation today. And this is a fascinating subject. It's called the tithing contract. I'm going to begin by reading our memory text here. It's found in Malachi chapter 3, verse number 10 which says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So we're talking here, Ed, about tithing. Where is tithing first mentioned in the Bible? Where do we come across it? How do we even get this whole idea of tithing? Well, it's really interesting that... uh 400 years before the tithing legislation is given at Mount Sinai, the tithing is mentioned way back in the book of Genesis. So the first time is the 14th chapter of Genesis when Lot, you know, remember he had separated from Abram and he was living in Sodom. Then those four Elamite kings came and ransacked Sodom and Gomorrah and took many people hostage, including Lot and his family, and uh, all the stuff that was valuable. So they, they just ransacked the two towns and took these guys hostages. When Abraham heard about it, he went and rescued him. I mentioned the other day to someone that he didn't have to do that because Lot chose to live in the city. He could, he could have borne his own responsibility there and his own consequences. But the interesting part to me is that Abraham was a wealthy man. He had his own army, 318 trained servants in his own house for war. So he, he joined with one of his friends and they went and, and rescued the hostages. The big deal is, if you can imagine just a, a big city like Sodom and, and a big city like Gomorrah, the, the stuff that was taken away, they probably took van loads of stuff away. All the stores with Walmarts and everything, CVS, everything's ransacked out of all these stores. And the people are, are gone with them. So Abraham went and rescued the hostages and brought all the stuff back. And the, the king of Sodom, the Bible had said, he wasn't taken. He was hiding in a slime pit. So he, he came out all gooey from his slime pit and said to Abraham, we're so thrilled that you brought everyone back. Just let us have the people. You can have all the stuff. Well, Abraham said to him, uh, I told God before I left home, I, did, I raised my hand. And I said, listen, I'm not taking anything from anybody, not even a shoestring. So whatever I get back is going to you and to, to the uh, people of Sodom. So I told the king of Sodom, I always have this practice that whenever I do something to, for God, I return a tithe of anything that's offered to me. So he, it just happened. I don't think this is just coincidence, but Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, showed up and he, he had a Thanksgiving service and praised God for the victory that Abraham had gotten and the restored hostages and all the stuff back and so on. At any rate, spontaneously, I want to tell you this, uh, Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. Now, that we learn a lot from these verses that we've just read, the, the one that uh, Eric's just read, bring all the tithe, it's the whole tithe to the storehouse. Well, in this case, he, he gave tithe to Melchizedek. 
We learn these several things here. It was just spontaneous. There's no command to tithe in this 14th chapter of Genesis. He just did it because he's called the father of what group of people? Everybody knows the father of the faithful. So he gave that as an example. Several things we learned from that, that he gave Melchizedek the tithe. And then in addition to that, it was given to God's appointed leader. He didn't just say, well, now that I've got this, I'll give 10% to the worthy causes or something. This was a special fund for the ministry. Also, he gave a tenth. Now, how do we know this? Bible students like to, to uh, parse some of the scriptures, and I'll just tell you one thing. The law of first mention, this is the first time tithing is mentioned in the Bible. Does anybody know when the last tension, uh, mention is? The last mention is, is uh, way over in the book of Hebrews, the seventh chapter, where it says, interestingly enough, he gave a tithe of Melchizedek in Genesis. When the same story is repeated over in Hebrews, the seventh chapter, it says he gave a tenth to him. So that's one of the ways we know that tithing and tenth is the same thing. It's interesting also that we understand that, that uh, Abram didn't take anything except what his soldiers had eaten and so on, but he gave the tenth to Melchizedek. He put God first in this, and this is important to understand that that's where it should be in line of our uh, giving, to return the tithe. I might just add here that, in my opinion, the tithe is the basic summation of, of giving. Nowhere in the Bible does God suggest that less than a tenth is his. And if you have God as a partner, you're always going to be successful. He only has a lot of partnerships today. When, when somebody's a senior partner, they let 51% of the business. But God says, I only want 10%. I'll bless the rest, and you take care of the rest of it, and you manage for me. So we've got this, this picture of where tithe is introduced to us in the Bible. And it kind of leads us into Sunday's lesson, which um, the title of it is Tithe Equals a Tenth. But there seems to be some, uh, some doubt about that in some Christians' minds. You and I, Ed, have both heard people say, you know, I tithe 3% or I tithe 5% or something like that, which is, is very difficult to do because, as the lesson says, tithe equals a tenth. How do we know that a tithe equals a tenth? Good question. When you look up tithe in a, in a dictionary, frequently they'll say origin from the Bible. The Bible gives a it talks about being a tenth part of something or 10%. Definition likely from the Bible, they'll say. Tithing is simply returning 10% of our income or increase to God uh, as a token of his ownership. God is so awesome in all of these things that he doesn't, he doesn't need the money, of course, so he says, I'll take the tithe and use it for the support of the ministry. And this, this is something interesting that we'll look at as well as we go through the Tuesday and Wednesday section this week. But the Bible says that the tithe is holy and belongs to God. In Leviticus 27, verse 30, it says, All the tithe of the land is the Lord's, it is holy unto the Lord. Well, if you look at just two verses later, it says, When you count your sheep and your cattle, the tenth one belongs to God. So a tenth is mentioned right in the tithing legislation given at Mount Sinai. That's Leviticus 27, verse 30 and verse 32. So we've got several places in the Bible that actually give us pretty clear testimony that tithe equals a tenth. Uh, you mentioned Hebrews 7, verse 2 again already. That, that talks about Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and, and giving that tenth. So there's, there's not a lot of ambiguity there. Why do you think, Ed, why do you think some people, some Christians, don't understand that tithe equals a tenth? What, what is their understanding of tithe, would you imagine? Well, frequent, that's a good question, Eric. Frequently people uh, think anything they do for charity is part of their tithe. They'll say, well, you know, we have to buy choir robes for the church or help pay the parking lot or we're sending our kids to church school. You know, this is my tithe. But tithe is a wholly separate fund from anything else, any offerings and so on. And it's really non-discretionary on the part of the giver. 
God didn't ask us what, what, we should, what we think should be done with it. He didn't ask us how much we thought would be fair. He just says 10% is it. So he, he, that's very simple to f- figure. Anybody that can do any kind of math at all can figure 10% of something. Okay, so, so you mentioned that some people misdirect the tithe or what they consider to be the tithe. What really should the tithe be used for and where should it be returned? Well, that's a good question, but I want to just follow up on one of the things I told you earlier. When, when, when the second mention of tithe in the Bible is Genesis 28, and uh, that's when Jacob was fleeing from home where his brother Esau had said, my father is old and will die soon, and when he dies, I'm going to kill my brother. And he was really serious. He was really mad because of this financial situation. So J- Jacob fled from home, and the, while he was traveling, he, had, he slept by a big rock for protection, prayed that God would protect his life and bring him back home again. And then God actually appeared to him in a vision. Where the, this is where the staircase was earth to heaven and ladder. Some places called it a ladder, but it's very hard for people to go up and down a ladder at the same time. So most pictures that you see of it is like a staircase. But God stood above it and said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, he didn't say Jacob then. He did, from then on he did. But he said, I'm the God of Abraham, your father, and Isaac. And at the end of this time, he said to, to Jacob, I will bless you and bring you back to this land again, and I'll be with you, and I'll go with you wherever you go. So Jacob, when he woke up the next morning, said, look, God is in this place, and I didn't even know it. So he called the place the house of God, Bethel, from there on. The interesting thing about it, at the close of his, uh, this is Genesis 28, verse 22. And he said, this stone that I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you shall give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. So here again, instead of tithe, he mentioned 10%. This is Jacob talking. So I think it's important that we understand that. Now let me answer your question about uh, where should the tithe, what should the tithe be used for. Well, this is interesting, Eric, because I've told people many times that uh, if the tithe belongs to God, as it says in the tithing legislation in Leviticus 27, verse 30, the tithe is the Lord's and is holy unto the Lord, what could God do with this tithe? Well, the bottom line is very simple. He could do whatever he wanted to with it. He could take it back to heaven if he wanted to. He doesn't need the money, of course. Or he could burn it up as a sacrifice like he did the sheep and the lambs and the sacrifices in the system. But instead, he said, I'll reserve the tithe to pay for the pastors. That's incredible. We have an awesome system in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that we've tried to follow the Bible principles, and we set it aside for that purpose. Uh, another thing is, the tithe is not discretionary on the part of the people that return the tithe, because God says it should be returned to the storehouse. So well, it begs the question, where is the storehouse? Well, ancient Israel knew where the storehouse was. It's very simple to them. They'd been told way back in Mount Sinai that when they went to the Promised Land that three times a year they were to come to to uh, together for fellowship and worship. And uh, that was uh, Passover and Pentecost and Feast of Tabernacles. It mentions that in Exodus, of course, and also in Deuteronomy when when Moses reviews all this material. But the interesting part about it is they were to bring their tithes and offerings three times a year to the tabernacle, first at Shiloh and then later at Jerusalem. But it's pretty fascinating that the uh, book of Numbers Chapter 18, verse 21 says, God says, I have given the tithe in Israel to the Levites in exchange for the work they do at the tabernacle of meeting. So God says, these guys that are working for me, I want to pay with, I want to make sure they get good income. You remember when they divided up the land that all the tribes got big portions of land that gives their borders from the sea to this mountain and all that. But the, the, the Levites didn't have any, any uh, big pieces of land like that. God said, I want, I'll give them the, the, uh, Cities of refuge, which were, there were six of them, and, and they, they had those cities plus other cities in, among the tribes. 
and uh, they had lands for farm for their gardens and so on around the cities, but they didn't have these big, huge spots of land. They were, interestingly enough, they were given the tithe distributed, and actually I'll tell you something interesting about it. They, they, they returned their, all the people returned their tithe to the storehouse, which was at, at uh, uh, Jerusalem at the temple. By the way, the storehouse has been in effect for a long time because when Achan brought, stole that property, the, later on we'll talk about that, when Achan took the, the uh, part of the spoils of Jericho to his home, uh, the command had been to bring it back to the storehouse. And everybody else did that but him. One man in a million disobeyed and caused 36 people to die. Pretty interesting story, actually. But the tithe came to the storehouse, and then the Levites took it all over Israel. They delivered it back to their own people. So God's given us a pretty good indication, a pretty clear instruction on where the tithe is to go and what its purpose is. It's not for us to decide what to do with it. That's simply returning it to God and doing what he has asked us to do with it. If you're enjoying this and want to learn more about this subject, I want to encourage you to pick up this book. This is the companion book to this quarter's Sabbath School lesson. It is called Managing for the Master by G. Edward Reed. Of course, he is our guest each and every week this quarter on our Sabbath School program. You can find this book at itiswritten.shop. Again, that's itiswritten.shop. And just search for Managing for the Master. It is the companion book for this quarter's Sabbath School lesson, and we'll give you additional insight, deeper thoughts, more stories. It really fleshes out this quarter's Sabbath School lesson. You'll be glad that you have it. We're going to be back in just a moment as we continue looking at the tithing contract. We'll see you back in just a moment. You can't easily live without it, yet having it and having too much of it can not only make life complicated, but it can jeopardize your spiritual well-being. Money, such a major part of life, and yet so potentially dangerous that the Bible says more about money than almost any other subject. What do you do with your money? And how can you make sure that what is meant to be a blessing doesn't end up being a curse? Join our conversation with financial expert Julian Archer and learn how to avoid many common financial pitfalls. Learn from someone who knows and find out what the Bible has to say about finance, about handling your money in a way that is both good for you and glorifies God. Don't miss Money, Money, Money from It Is Written, featuring financial expert Julian Archer. Money, Money, Money. Watch now on It Is Written TV. Go to www.itiswritten.tv. That's itiswritten.tv. Welcome back to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We are continuing our study this week, week number three, on the tithing contract. And Ed, I want to come back to something that you were talking about just a moment ago. Uh, when we're returning tithe, when it's coming back into the storehouse, how should that tithe be distributed? How, how is it used? Where does it go uh, according to the, the biblical guidelines that God has, has directed? How does the Adventist church deal with that? I mentioned earlier that the counsel God gave was them to bring their tithe three times a year, their offering and tithe. Since they were agricultural people, they only had harvest those times of the year, as you may know. The interesting part was they were to bring it Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Tabernacles to the central storehouse. In fact, the 12th chapter of Deuteronomy outlines the central storehouse idea. God says, when you get into the promised land, don't do whatever you think you ought to do with your tithe, but return it to the central storehouse. It's very plain in the Bible when you read these 
topics on tithing. So how, one big question that people ask, is there any church that actually follows this principle? Well, our church has tried to follow the principle as best we can by determining that the tithe is the Lord and is, has a special purpose that to support the ministry like they supported the tribe of Levi in the Old Testament. So our church has, des- has designated the local conference office and mission headquarters, and if there's a union of churches, wherever they hire people, they should be the central storehouse. And they, they're the ones that pay the pastors. So for the convenience of our members, they return their tithe as part of their worship experience on Sabbath when they come to worship God. And then, listen carefully, this is not designed to be funny, but it's just something interesting. The pastor never says to the church treasurer, you know, I need to make my car payment. Can you go ahead and give me my tithe money? The tithe is always sent on to the main central storehouse, and the pastors are paid from that point. So that's a good thing in many ways because they don't have to talk about money and their salaries like some pastors do. They know that as long as they're faithful in their work that they're going to get paid from the storehouse. And essentially something very interesting also is that basically most everybody who works for the church in ministerial lines gets paid on the same basis. So if you have a larger church, you don't get more money, you just get more responsibility. And hopefully you also get more assistance like with people helping you, a larger staff and so on. But people don't look for larger churches to get more money in, our, in the biblical sense. It's, it's also encouraging to me, Ed, to know that this encourages pastors to be faithful in the, the sharing of the gospel. You know, a lot of times in, in some churches where a local pastor's income is determined by the, the tithe that is given in that church, they may be encouraged to, uh, to preach a simpler, smoother, less confrontational, less biblical message in order to keep the money flowing in so that their pockets can continue to be uh, filled with it. But here in this system, it doesn't matter. There's no incentive to water down the gospel or water down the message of the Bible, uh, but to preach it straight because uh, the pastor's income is not going to be, uh, it's not going to be affected positively or negatively uh, by the amount that's given in that local church. That's encouraging to me, Ed. One additional thing I could add to that, Eric, is that the pastor is, is, is motivated not from selfish reasons to teach about stewardship, but to, to be, have the people be faithful to God and in tangible ways receive the benefits that God has promised. So believe it or not, it may seem uh, materialistic, but for those who are faithful, God has promised, I'll bless you in ways that you won't imagine. I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake, and I'll also make sure that you have more money than you know what to do with. And that doesn't mean that you have bukus of money. It means that you have, your needs are met and you're able to help others and help advance the cause of God. That's right. Well said. Uh, I want to jump to Wednesday's lesson now, Ed. Wednesday's lesson, I, I love the title of this one, Tithing on the Gross or the Net Income. I get this question all the time. Uh, should I tithe on the gross or should I tithe on the net? What's the, what's the best advice that you can give on this, Ed? Well, the issue is very simple, really, when you're talking about gross or net. For most people, the the bottom line is take-home pay that you get when you're working for a salary or by the hour is not really the total amount you earn because frequently they take out taxes uh, before then, income tax and property tax and different things like that. So the the question of gross or net is do you pay on before your tithe, your taxes are taken out, or, or after the taxes are taken out? And so... It's interesting that studies of our people, church, Seventh Heavens people, are the majority, more than 60% of people say they tithe on the gross amount. They look and see what their gross pay was and pay that they're tithed on that. 
Eric, here's something I'd like to share with you. God is love. God is faithful. There's a lot of things about God. God is also honest. And I've often thought that if you have any question, I would err on the side of generosity toward God because God is honest. If you give him too much, he'll get it back to you some way. That's what I think. It sounds like we need to just trust him and trust less in our ability to do math and see what we can get away with and trust more in God's generosity. Is that a fair assessment? Yes, indeed. And there's one other illustration. I like these Bible illustrations. The widow of Zarephath, during the time when, when uh, Elijah had gone into Ahab's office and said, it's not going to rain until I say so because of your wickedness, something amazing happened. He said, God, I'll take care of you. God said to Elijah, and he fed him with ravens and the little brook and so on. But finally, that brook dried up and, and uh, God said, I'm going to send you to the widow of Zarephath. So God went to the widow also and said, this is an interesting story. He said, I'm sending you a man of God and you should take care of him during this time that uh, the drought is on. So he, she knew he was coming, but when he came, she wasn't sure who he was, but she, he asked, uh, he met this lady out there and said, what are you doing? And he said, she said, I'm just gathering a few sticks and we're going to build a fire and use the last of our oil and meal and we'll make, some, make a cake and my son and I will eat it and then we'll, then we'll both die. We're like they were planning to starve to death. And, and under those circumstances, Elijah said, well, would you please bring me a drink of water? And then she started to go and he said, but wait a minute, I'd like for you to take that, some of that oil and meal that you have and make me a little cake first. Then he promised her that if you do that, God will not let the flour use up or the oil use up until the, the, the rain comes on the earth some three years later. Now, this sounds kind of selfish at first glance that he asked her to treat him first, but remember God asked us to treat him first and respond in, in our obligations to him. In this particular case, something amazing happened. The lady went and did as she was told. This was just a test of her faith. It wasn't trying to take it away from her. It was trying to multiply what she had. When she obeyed, her, her uh, oil and flour lasted for the whole three years, which is pretty amazing. So gross or net, I think you shared this with us last week. Was it Larry Burkett, Burkett who, who shared that, uh, that short quip with us? It yes. depends on whether you want a, a gross blessing or a net blessing. Uh, that's, I think that's fantastic uh, advice. And most of us, I think, would probably prefer the gross blessing. Yes, indeed. Let's take a look at Thursday's lesson now. Thursday's lesson is entitled, An Honest or Faithful Tithe. Sometimes, sometimes we hear that, that term used, an honest or a faithful tithe. What does that mean? Well, frequently, I find people want to be faithful. They want to know what God says and uh, then seek to practice it. So I say there are four elements to a faithful tithe. And uh, the first one is the amount. Actually, when you look at it, they can all begin with the letter P to help remember it. So that would be the portion of the percent. And the Bible indicates that very clearly, that that's, 10, that's a tenth of our increase. So that's 10%. So the next one is the place to, to take it, and that would be the storehouse, the central storehouse, and that's the place from which the gospel ministers are paid. In our, in our situation, that would be our local conference office from which the pastors of our field are paid. And the third one is honoring God with the first part of our income. Remember that Proverbs, the third chapter in verse 9, talks about the first fruits of our income. And Matthew 6, 33 in Jesus' mountain sermon said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So we put God's first part. My wife Kathy has been the manager of our, our funds for the whole time we've been married, over 55 years. And she always writes the, the tithe check. She said, that's the first time, for, over the years, that's always the first check I write, our, our offerings, the tithe and offerings. She said, and God always blesses the rest of it. She said, I know that if, if I'd waited until the last thing to write, sometimes we would have been short, but putting God first, he blesses it.
So that's the first part. Now the, for, the fourth one is going to be used for the right purpose. Now this is an interesting also, support of the ministry. It's our responsibility as individual members to do the first three, to make sure it's a tenth, make sure it goes to the right place, and we start out with God first. The, the people who run the storehouse are responsible for making sure that it's used properly. But God asks us to be responsible for the first part. Now let me just mention one other thing, interestingly enough. You and I have talked about this before, but some, we've, we've heard people say, well, I'm doing a 3% tither, I'm doing a 5% tither, whatever. But to be real honestly, we don't set the parameters God does. So if I don't return a full 10% of my income, I'm really not tithing, am I? In addition to that, if I'm not uh, using it to the storehouse to uh, support ministry, I'm not tithing either. So this is the real bottom line situation here. You know, Ed, something that I was just thinking about as you were, as you were mentioning that, there are a lot of people who belong to a lot of different churches out there who are wanting to give something to the work of the Lord. If I'm understanding you correctly, when we return a tithe to a church, we are helping to spread, or we are helping to pay those ministers to spread that particular gospel that that church is preaching and teaching. What would you say to somebody who's who's thinking, well, I'm not sure if I believe in the message that this church or that church is teaching, where, where, what should I do with my tithe? Where should the tithe go if, if they're not certain that they believe that message that that church is, is sharing? Well, first of all, if you have a biblical understanding of tithing, you understand the parameters we just talked about. So you can understand wh- where are the churches that are doing that. There's, there's three reasons people are members of churches today. One of them is they're raised in that particular church. That's most people. Second one, out of convenience. Two people of different churches get married. They don't go to one church one week and one the next. They, one of them decides which one they go to. And the third one is people study the Bible and they figure out which, where is the Bible teaching, what does the Bible teach, and then they look for the church that honors that principle. So I would suggest that people do a research of Scripture and of the churches that, that, are, that they know about them and see which one is doing it. You want to support the ones that are teaching the truth, of course, and honor God's commandments. Fantastic. I think that's great advice, Ed. So this week we have taken a look at the subject of the tithing contract, something that God established way back in Old Testament times. We see it continued in New Testament times, and it continues to exist today. And God uses this in order to continue to spread the gospel all around the world. One of the beautiful truths of Scripture is that before Jesus comes back, This gospel of the kingdom is going to go to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And God gives us the opportunity, the privilege, really, to be a part of that by helping to finance that work to spread the gospel all around the world. Some people can help a lot. Some people can help a little bit less. But everything helps to spread that gospel. So regardless of what your income may be, God wants to bless your income and multiply it and use a portion of it that you give back to him to spread the gospel around the world. Thanks for joining us again this week. It's been a privilege and a pleasure to have you with us. And we're going to be back again next week as we continue our journey through managing for the master. We wish you God's richest blessings until we see you again. Take care.